0: Uh, We're in Acts chapter 2, uh, the birth of the church. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. If we brought our copy of God's Word, maybe we can stand for the reading of God's Word this evening. That's in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to to the prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were dividing them up with all anyone might have need and daily devoting themselves with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and surrendered sincerity of heart, praying, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, full of grace and mercy, Father, we just thank you for these words that you've put before us. Father, we thank you for the church, Father, knowing that the church is is a body of believers in Christ Jesus, that this this man, God-man, Jesus, manifested himself in the form of his creation to come and live this sinless life, from a, from a baby till man, and lived a sinless life, and died upon that cross, and was resurrected, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. And for all those who believe in Him, Father, the Holy Spirit ascended on all His believers and entered upon them to create the making of the church, Father. The church, one, meaning one, the church, in the body of the one and only Christ. We thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, everybody. You may be seated. Okay, the birth of the church. Uh, we've been going through the book of Acts. It's a wonderful uh, book. Uh, it's uh, Luke. We know that Luke was the author, uh, the doctor, and he wrote the book of Luke also, which everybody will be reading now. It's Christmas season, uh, but we're in we're in the book of Acts, the the the, the Acts of the Apostles, and uh, we've been going through the book, and we find that. Uh, Jesus had His death, burial, and resurrection. He had told them to go back and wait, and wait for Him for the miracle to happen, for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. They had all went back, and they had waited in the upper room for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. And many great miracles are becoming happening at this point. Uh, you know, Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. He was crucified. He resurrected from the dead. He'd come back incarnate. Uh, when when the when his death appeared, the curtain went rant. There had saints were coming out of the tombs. They were walking, they were walking into the cities. Uh, just uh, it had went dark. The moon was turning red. Uh, just all sorts of different prophecies was being fulfilled in this time, and it was the beginning of the church, as we know it today, the church. Uh, from the, the passing from the Old Testament into the New Testament, the transitional period with many of marvelous miracles, uh, Jesus had performed and then had extended his miracle po- powers to his apostles and when we say his apostles, it was one who was sat under the teaching of Jesus Christ, who had known him physically had known him, and sat underneath his teachings that Jesus had given his miracle powers to these apostles. Uh, I know oftentimes we in today's churches, we have people that like to call themselves apostles, and that's fine, but they're not the apostles that God, Jesus, had given these miracle powers to. And this was just a marvelous time uh, that, we, that we see. And so this time was uh, during Pentecost. It was probably at 50 days later. After Jesus' resurrection, that we see he, his death, burial, resurrection, he came back in this, and walked with his disciples. Had given them counsel different times, and then on the fiftieth day, we see that uh, Peter has a sermon, and it was the sermon of Pentecost. Now, uh, Pentecost in itself, what was that? Was also named Shavat, was uh, primarily the thanksgiving for the first fruits of the wheat harvest. That's where it originally started, and it was called Pentecost. It was for the first harvest of the wheat. Uh, and It's interesting how this is the starting of the church, how God decided in God's providence that this would be the f- first fruits of His church, that when the, the Holy Spirit would come upon people. So this was Shavat. that was the Jewish people knew, the first harvest of the wheat. But it was later then associated with the remembrance of the law given by God to Moses on Mount Sinai. So the Jewish people, even to this day, probably celebrate Pentecost as Shabbat. Well, this was just a wondrous time for us because it was the beginning of the first fruits. Now, I, I, I named the message the birth of the church. And I think oftentimes, I think people will get confused because th- th- this is not the changing from the synagogue to the church, Lakeview Baptist, or different denominations. This is entirely changing. This is no longer meeting in a place. As an example, the the woman was at the well that Jesus had met on the 12th hour of the day, and and she had asked a question about having to go up to the temple to pray. Because remember, everybody had to come and give their sacrifices and to worship God at the temple, and the priest, the high priest, would do the business, that's how you had to go through Judaism to get to God. Well, now, now we're transitioning. Instead of the synagogues, we're transitioning to the church, meaning not a physical property or being. The church now is emblematic of the Holy Spirit coming into a person. A regenerated soul is a part and a member of that church. And these different churches that we would call churches would be different groups and bodies of people just the way it is today around the world. When believers, regenerated souls get together, that is the body of Christ. The body, one, singular, only one. The body of Christ is the church. It is no longer a building. We need no longer go to a building to worship our, our God. We worship our gods in, our, in the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't take two or more. Anytime you can pray all your prayers and supplications to the Lord, that will lead. That saying comes in the church discipline, but that's not what the message tonight. We're, we're talking talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit, the church, the beginning of the church. The word church does not even appear in the Old Testament because there is no church in the Old Testament. It doesn't come into existence until the New Testament, then we find it at least 120 times in the Gospels. and. I don't know if you're a numbers person, it was interesting how there was 120 that were first served through through Pentecost before later than the day, there was 3,000, so there was 3,120 were saved in Pentecost, and the 120 may have been the disciples, of the the beginning disciples of the church, the the teachers, the elders of the church, the apostles that had been filled with the Spirit, Uh, that church starting, uh... The original word, the translated church from the original manuscripts, is ekklesia. This word, the Greek word kaleo to call, uh, ekklesia is is the church. is in Greek. Is what we're gonna we're gonna touch on that some of that. We're gonna get into that pretty pretty deeply too. So we and so what happens? What's the first thing? So what I want us to look at today is is oftentimes since that time until now we're still trying. The, the church itself, uh, we oftentimes see, we're trying to emulate what had taken place back then. Can we emulate what, what had taken place? What is a true church? Remember, the church is a body of believers in Christ. And how should that church conduct itself? We're going to be having a business meeting here in a little bit. And churches come together and they often wonder how the church should grow. Uh, what things should be done in the church? How should we grow? What should the church look like? All these different things, and, and then we go back into the book, we go into scripture, and we can go into the book of Acts and say, "What is the church? How do we emulate this? Can we emulate it? Is it even possible? I mean this was the actual miracle age. So well, first off and foremost, we're going to see in the in the scripture that I have read, uh, we'll just back up to verse forty one. And it says, so then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. The beginning of the church is that day were added 3,000 souls. That was the beginning of the first church, and 3,000 souls were added that day. Well, what takes place? It's a regenerated soul. It's being filled with the Holy Spirit. So what, what, what had taken place there? Well, they had to count the cost. Most of this was the Jewish people. They had to, they had to accept the, the heretical Jesus who they had put to death as their Lord and Savior. They had to count the cost. They they had to say, hey, this man. And remember, Peter had told them, cast judgment upon them, that told them it was it was the one whom you crucified, the Jesus. And they said that Jesus was because he was saying that he was God. And this had to become their Lord. It was a stumbling block to the Jew. It's a stumbling block to this day for the Jewish person. They had to count the cost. And... they must be reborn. Now, Second Corinthians 5.17. Though the old things have passed and the new things have begun... I remember when my conversion was. The old things have passed away; the new have begun. So this is foundational for any church is to have saved people. Matter of fact, you you can't you can't say you're the church if you're not saved. You're not a part of the church. <laughs> Oftentimes they're like, "Well, I'm I'm a member of that church." Well, you're not a member of the Christian church the singular one church the church of Christ unless your soul has been regenerated now last week we covered in great length or two weeks ago covered in great length what how does that happen what takes place for that to happen and i brought us through different scripture and i brought us through the book of john where nicodemus had come because remember he was concerned about his salvation and jesus told him he must be reborn again and that put Nicodemus in a quandary because he was just hoping he could do one more thing. When Jesus says, you must be reborn, he realizes that there's no way he took part in his first birth. So how's he going to take part in his second birth? And then it goes on and he says, I can't re-enter my mother's womb. And then Jesus, and he, and he's asking, well, what can I do? Now, you notice at that point, Jesus didn't say, Nicodemus, you need to say this prayer. He didn't say that, did he? You need to say this prayer. You need to do this, Nicodemus. You need to do this. You know the answer Jesus gave him? He says, the Holy Spirit, your salvation is contingent upon how the wind blows. He says, you don't see it. It blows, you hear it. And it blows where it will, when it wills. That means, Nicodemus, you have nothing to do with it. All right? So that was the... That was the quandary that Nicodemus has, is the salvation. And it's, it's the quandary that we all have, and we all will have, and all pastors will have. They all want to run right to John 3.16 and get right to the part where it says that God's, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, whoever believes shall not perish, shall have everlasting life. And yes, it does. Let's, we run into what we call a paradox. Now a paradox is where we have two views that they seem like they conflict. They contradict themselves. Scripture does not contradict itself. It never does. We run into paradoxes, and a paradox is a beautiful thing. To me, because why? Because it's an infinite God trying to teach a finite creature... who his sovereignty and who your God is. And he's trying to teach us. So what does he do? He can't give you a prayer to say. He can't give you this. He can't, so what he does is he tells you, this is the way it is, Nicodemus. And then he tells you, you must believe. In eight verses, he says, or seven verses, he says eight times you must believe. Believe what? Believe in the Son of Man. Now, both of these are true statements. If I try to go the one way and explain one side of this argument or I try to explain the other side of the argument I will take away God's sovereignty and I need not do that. If one were going to get up here and I was going to explain to you that the triune God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and I was going to explain to you how he's like a pretzel in these three parts, I will be I will just be taking away one of the sovereignty of it. I don't need to do that. I need to bring you to scripture where when John the baptizes is baptizing Jesus, the Son, who is grace. We think of Jesus as grace and forgiveness. And then during His baptism, from John the baptizing to baptizing Him, the Holy Spirit descends, descends from heaven as a dove and upon Him. And God's in heaven. This is my Son who I'm proud of. Now all three of them are there. They're all referred to as He. They're all part of the Trinity. I don't, can't explain to you how all three are one. I'm not gonna even going to try. I don't have to. See, because I'm a finite creature, I can't explain some things to you. Now, there'll be guys with IQs off the charts. They'll write volumes on this and try to explain it. But I don't have to do that. All we have to do is believe. Believe and trust in the Lord. You read that scripture, just believe it. At the end of 2 Corinthians, there again, it will state, who is this? it's, It's Paul giving thanks For the grace of Jesus, the communion of the Holy Spirit, and the love of God. See, I didn't just make love, grace, and communion up. I get it from Scripture. That reiterates that there's a triune God. The same way when we run into this salvation, even as pastors, there'll be arguments and debates on how this works. We don't need to get into all that. We just need to believe what the Scripture says. So first and foremost, what does it take for a church? A church must be a saved body of believers, of regenerated souls, okay? The first and foremost. Now, uh, and second, as we're talking about this, as, as we're reading in here, in verse 42, let's just kind of start reading along a little bit here. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of the bread. Okay, so now let's look at the content. Matter of fact, let's just make a statement here that we're, we probably won't like to hear. and You probably haven't heard it a whole lot. That evangelism of the church is not the one, number one priority. Oh my goodness, John, what do you mean? Evangel- evangelism is not the number one priority of the church. What's the number one priority of the church? That the church first be saved, and second, that there's a teaching of the church. Now, you're going to notice something here, that oftentimes some denominations and some people, probably the ones that tell you they can speak in tongues, that this makes no sense whatsoever, they're going to tell you that they're filled with the Spirit and they gained all this knowledge, because they, they were washed in the Spirit and now... They, 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 they have the mind of Christ, they have the Holy Spirit in them, and, well, you know, that's not what Scripture says. What does Scripture say? On that day, when, when, the, when the Holy Spirit was, the, the spark was there, the fire was there, it was coming down upon everybody, what does it say? What are they immediately doing? It says right here. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching continually devoting themselves to the apostles teaching continually learning the doctrine to continually learning god's word well why is that well for they can reproduce it for they can do the same thing because they has to have the content we can't we can't work as a church as the body of christ until we know what we're going to project out you see the evangelism doesn't come first where salvation first comes, because an unsaved person can't, can't, can't save nobody. they don't know the doctrine. they know false doctrines. You'll have people talking uh, to demons and angels. They'll say, "Oh, he's talking to an angel. Well, the Satan comes as an angel of light. Didn't you read scripture? That's why it's so important we read scripture. It's so important that we learn the doctrine. Doctrine is not some fancy, real difficult word. It's just the teaching of God's word. And they sat every day for the teaching with the apostles. Now, I just want to get to to ecclesia. Uh, Ecclesia was the church, and I and like I said, it's mentioned 120 times in the New Testament. Now, I'm not going to read all 120 Bible verses to you, but I thought what I would do is grab the ones out of Acts and and read some of them to us. And let's just read. Just, I want this to resonate, and I want this to resonate in us so much, because I think oftentimes we hear, we hear, yeah, I got it. It's the church is a body of believers filled in the Spirit, but then automatically we're going to be thinking, well, they go to church over at Lakeview but You're going to mix mix up Lakeview Baptist with the church. Lakeview Baptist is not the church. It's the building that the church meets, meets in. Now let's read some of these scriptures. Let's just resonate in the, the church, the body of Christ. Uh, Acts 9.15 says, Specifically, used of that act of God's free will by which... That's ek, uh. <laughs> Ek loge. That'll be next on the list to teach. We're not going to read a whole chapter before we mess up and say, oh, I'm messed up. Okay, Acts 14.23. And when they had appointed elders... Now, this this is interesting, too. Let's listen to some of this verbiage, too, because oftentimes there'll be people that will say... Uh, you know, I believe it should be a pastor-run church. And I say, well, I should believe it should be an elder-run church. Well, why do I believe that? That's just not because I think that. I believe that because that's what Scripture tells me. Let's see what the original church looks like. What's it? If you submit to the authoritative Word of God in your constitution at a church, that you hold the authoritative Word of God, and Christ is the head of the church, and then it's the Word of God that falls underneath Christ the headed church because we can't v- verbally hear Jesus talking to us. So we have his word that we can hear. It's, it, it resonates. So let's just listen to it. Let's listen to a church. Let's Let's listen to... What a church is uh, it 's not a building it 's a body of believers filled with the spirit. The first one was on the day of Pentecost. three thousand one hundred and twenty was the original church, acts 1423 And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them them to the Lord in whom they had believed. See this is what churches when bodies of believers come together in different areas to form what they call a church they then they they then appoint elders and for appointing elders what do they do they 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 prayer fasting they committed themselves to the lord in whom they had believed and believing because well, let's get back to the the, the beginning it takes a saved person. In the book of John, we had to believe what? Believe in Jesus. It says eight times in seven verses. We had to believe in who? It said seven times in the eight verses, the Son of Man, Jesus. Confess with our heart, believe. And how do we know? How do we know if someone's saved then, John? Well, a believer will continue in his faith. The, 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 there has to be a track record. I like to say a track record. There has to be a track record of this person. Is he now, as the old things passed away, have the new things begun? Do the things of the once, the once that you were a sinner, well, such were some of you, and it has a whole list of sins, such were all of you, you're all sinners, do today in your heart do the sins that you committed of yesterday, they've been, they've been forgotten, they've been forgiven as far as the east and the west, but do they trouble you? They trouble your soul to the fact that the, the sins that I commit today in my mind bother me more than the, the sins I physically committed in my body. Because my flesh is weak, my spirit is strong. I continually to stay and grow in the Word. I continually want to be around the fellowship of believers with the saints, with the elders of the church, continue being in the Word, continuing in prayer. And here's a good one for you, brothers, sisters, beloved it's through times of trials and tribulations which will really show you if you're a true believer or not. Oftentimes when something goes wrong or somebody gets mad at God and and you see them just drop everything and how could God do that? And they run out the door uh, you can see their faith. It's a testing of your faith. So every trial and tribulation, every death, every illness, every sickness you have went through in your life as a Christian and you've come through the other side and you're still glorifying God and not hating God tells you that you're a saved, you're a regenerated soul, that you're a believer. Okay, that's our reassurance. That's what it tells us that we're lacking in nothing. We're perseverance. We're lacking in nothing. We get through these. We get through these difficult times, and we get through them. And we keep continually praising and glorifying God. And then there'll be a scripture that it tells us in First John. It says, "If if you it tells us not to sin, but if you do sin, repent of your sin, and surely I'll forgive you." See, as a believer, then what we have to do have the humility and say, "I was wrong," and we. Pr- re- repent to the sovereign God. And then in the same book of John, the first John or second John, it tells us that they were not of us. They went out from us. So that will tell us the non-believer. Now, what does that mean? Well, That doesn't mean they left Lakeview Baptist and they're going to hell. That's not what it means. Or New Harvest Ministries and they're going to hell. No, that's not what they... They went out from us. They're no longer in the... They no longer accept the body of Christ. They went back to their old sinful ways, their own sinful nature, and they reject Christ. They reject the teachings of God. Uh, They got offended because they're alumni college, and they're no longer going to come to the church no more because uh, they were offended by what one person said in the church. See, and they say, well, I'm not going to go back there no more. I was offended by one person. So they, then they go back out and they continue in their fornication, their substance abuse, they're lying, they're che- cheating, they're stealing. And they want to act and profess like they're still in the church. They are not in the church. They were never of us, brothers and sisters. He did not lose his salvation. That woman or person did not lose their salvation. They rejected. They were never of us. They went out from us and they were never of us. Let's not be confused about that. Okay. And I don't know how I got off on that sidetrack, but it just had to, be, it had to be in the message. We're reading about the church, and we just covered Acts 14.23, that they, through fasting and prayer, they elected elders for their church. Acts 14.27, and when they arrived and gathered the church together, when they arrived, the apostles would come into the town, so they, they arrived and they, they gathered the church. Who? not the different buildings, but the people, the spirit-filled people, the regenerated souls, they gathered them together. They declared all that God has done with them. Now they're talking about everything that God has done for them and how he had opened the door of faith to the, to the Gentiles. They're, they're expounding on, they're just they're so amazed that, that through faith that God gave them the faith Faith is a substance of things not seen but hoped for. And God even gives us the faith. It takes faith by grace you've been saved, not by your own works for no man can boast. And God gives us the faith even. And these Jewish people, they're so amazing. They're talking about, isn't this awesome how God has given the faith to the Gentiles even now to come into the body of Christ, to be a part of the church now. There is no more Jew or Gentile. We've come into one body, one group. There's two groups, the unsaved and the saved now uh, beloved this is a beautiful time in the saved or the church and they gathered together and they're talking about these things and sitting underneath the apostles teaching that are going from town to town and why was this teaching about well because the next day we're going to find out who was going to be the elders because they were going to be appointing the elders to the church and they were going to fast and pray for who's going to lead this body of believers in this area Acts 15.3, so being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both one area and Samaria, describing in detail the conversions of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. Don't we get great joy? Beloved, when we see people's souls getting regenerated, they were so excited. This was such an exciting time. The numbers were being added to just immensely. And then the Gentiles were coming in as being believers. That God was doing a marvelous work. Acts 15, 4. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they... they declared all that God had done with them. Now you notice, who, who is this? Didn't you know, Remember he said, Peter, you're going to be the foundation. You're going to be the rock of my church, right? But they're not all coming to the church saying, well, where's Peter at? Where's the head of the church at? You know, some denominations, they have a guy that wears a crown and he's the vicar of Christ. I don't know if you heard about him. Uh, well, I don't see no vicar of Christ here. I see the apostles, more than one, All the apostles asked and the apostles were the ones that had walked with Jesus who was given miracle powers by Jesus to continue on these miracles that you would know that the Son of Man had come down and walked on earth. And then we have the disciples, the people of the teachings that had seen this and began to believe they didn't have the miracle powers and then they begin to talk about the excitement of the Gentiles coming into the conversion What God had done with them. Acts eighteen twenty two, when he had landed at Caesarea, he went up to the and greeted the church, and then went down to Antioch. Acts sixteen five. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Acts 8 3. But Saul, this was when, before Saul's conversion, but Saul was raving, ravaging the church and entering houses after the house. Now, here, here's, a, here's a good, remember the church is the body of believers filled with the Spirit. And here he says he's, he's ravaging the church and entering houses after house. He's dragged off men and women. And put them in prison. This is before Paul's conversion. This is the church, beloved. Uh, and I, I, w- I would like to say something about Paul right now too. Why we're here? Because we have Ecclesia, which stands for the the church, and then we have another word of Paul. And we're going to be in in First Thessalonians. I don't. Maybe I should just go over to First Thessalonians right now too, uh, to see what uh, what what consists of a church, the content of the church. Let's just talk, before I jump over there, let's, let's talk a little bit about the content of the church. What's in the content of the church? Uh, first, it's a saved church, and, and what is that church doing? They're, they're uh, sitting down for the teaching of the apostles every day, and what are they teaching? They're, they're teaching the doctrine, they're teaching the truth of God's Word. And here we see Paul in uh, 1 Thessalonians, because we're going to be rounding back around to Paul, with Gay. Uh, but Paul says here in first, in first Thessalonians, he says, Paul and Sylvania and Timothy, to the church of Thessalonians, in God the Father, in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. So what's the content of the church? Well, there's God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, if you go down to verse 5, he says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with all assurance. Okay, so here we have God is love, Jesus is grace. We have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and we have all three of them working in this church. That's the content of the church before we even get to the evangelism part of it. And in verse four too, we have this word gay." In verse four, it's knowing brothers beloved by God, your election. That word election. Now, everybody hates uh, most people. That are, you're, you're told you have free will, and everybody just it just really bothers them that they that you lose your free will. Well, we kind of have a little bit of a dilemma here. You know, we, we run across it in the book of John. And here's here's how we can I can help you with the dilemma. The dilemma is that yes, you do have free will, and guess what? God has free will too. And when God's free will, in the words of R. C. Sproul, runs into your free will, guess who free will overrides? And uh, God's okay. So I I know we like keeping our free will. So here we have in this passage we have Gay election, and here's Paul actually praying, and this is ecloge, is divinely chosen, election, preordained before the foundation of the world, God had chosen by the providence of God through his redemptive plan, he redeemed this church of Thessalonica, as all saved, chosen, a chosen people, and who was all there? God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And I just wanted to round back around to Paul because Paul is the only one. Well, that's a whole church where this legae is used seven times in the New Testament. And it's chosen by God, an election by God. And we see that Paul was also because for a while, lots of times people have a kind of a hard way with, with Paul because, you know, he was dragging people out of the church. He, he was there for the first stoning of of, uh, of Stephen. Uh, they laid the robes down at his feet, but here we see in the conversion of Paul in chapter 9 of Acts on verse 15, and he says, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen, this is this is God instructing a person to go and pray for Saul because he was blinded, and there, was a, there again was that free will that Paul did have free will all up until the point he ran into God's free will. And he got knocked off his horse. And Jesus looked at him and he says, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, who is it? And he says, the Lord and it's Jesus. And Jesus had, a, he, Paul had an encounter with Jesus while he was alive. And he got knocked off his horse Horse, and his free will ran into God's free will. And we find this word here, the only time in the whole New Testament it's used is ekloge for an individual per, person that God had ordained pre purposed before the foundation of the world to pick Paul, Saul, as our apostles to the Gentiles to come and proclaim the gospel and the good news. Uh, and that, that is just awesome to know that, that we have such a sovereign God. But he says something real interesting here. At, right after he says to this gentleman to go pray for him because he's been divinely chosen the only, for this task, this great task, uh, and this was the first fruits in Pentecost that we're, we're talking about. And here he was going to do the only one of his kind. But it says right after that, he says, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, but that's not the point, the point's in verse 16, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. There's no prosperity gospel with Paul. Pa- Paul was beaten. He suffered, shipwrecked. His disciples had turned their back on him. He went, he went through a rough way to go, Paul did. He suffered immensely. And, and I don't know if that meant that, that it was, was some kind of prophecy that he was going to suffer all that. But I, I know that even Paul is so ec- encouraging, my apostle. Your apostle, brother, that when he sat in prison, he well. First off, to live is for Jesus, and to die is gain. And that's something about the church too. Uh, just to say, the church is not driven by the fear that man can project out to you because of some illness or of captivity. Or they can listen. To die is for Jesus. To live, is, to live is for Jesus, to die is gain. When we go and our bodies are absent, we're present from the Lord, there's going to be no greater joy than that when we're going to have. But while we're living, our, we are living for Christ. And Paul knew this. And Paul, through all the sufferings of the flesh that he endured, everything he went through, he continued to preach the same message. And when he was in, locked in prison... And he was down to his last meal that he probably wouldn't have ate. A church had brought him food. And, and he thanked them, not for the food, but by the, by, the, by the providence of God for the blessings that they were going to receive from God uh, that they did this for him. Not that he needed that food because he put all his faith and trust in God. Uh, that, that's, that's our apostle, Paul. So now... We, we run into, uh, we, we have to get to verse 43. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Now, I, I want you to see very closely. It says, it doesn't say, many wonders and signs were taking place through all that received the Spirit on Pentecost... No, it says, through the apostles. That's very important to understand. It was through the apostles that Jesus had given these miracle powers to. And all those who had believed were together and had things common. And they began selling their property. Now, another thing about a church is that we need to get to, is we we need to talk about this. The church... We have no business dealing with Satan. Satan has no place in a saved church. Oftentimes, churches, we want, we want to bring the world into our church and we want to have fellowship with the unregenerated soul. We want to have fellowship with Satan. We want to get them elected to our boards. We want to get them elected to our committees. And it doesn't work. Oil and water does not mix. All it's going to bring into the church is confusion. All it will bring in is confusion. It, the two do, does not mix. Uh, so what? What am I saying there? Well, I'm talking about a, knowing that's a saved church in leadership positions uh, that we're gonna, going to have break bread together. We're going to have communion together. It was another thing that the church was doing. They were having communion together, breaking bread, an ordinance of the church for the repentance of our sin, the body and blood of Christ. Now, am I saying we don't want unsaved people in our church? No, they're welcome. They're welcome to come and hear the message of God's word. We, We welcome all of them. That's our mission field. But are they a part of the body of Christ? They are not. And what happens when you allow when you allow them to come into your church and infiltrate? What happens when you allow the tares to mix with the wheat? Well, you have confusion. They do not work together. They will not get along. Christians get along, and they barely get along. It takes a lot of prayer, but we've got to have the mind of Christ and a lot of prayer. Now, what example can I give to you in Scripture when it talks about this? I can bring you to Revelation chapter 2. And we can go to the church of... Pergama. and it says here, and the eight, and to the verse 12, chapter 2, verse 12, and to the angel of the church in Pergama. write. This is what the one who has sharp two-edged sword says, Jesus, what a sharp two-edged said, I know where you dwell, where Satan's thorn is, and you held fast my name. So the believers in the church are still professing Christ. They held fast to his name. They've allowed, they've been infiltrated by the tares. And did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, that you have there some who hold the teachings of Balaam, who kept teachings of Balak to put a stumbling block Before the sons of Israel. To eat things sacrificed. Now it's going to tell you exactly what happens when the unbelievers come in and infiltrate the church. And it begins to tell us. To eat things sacrificed to idols. And to commit sexual immorality. They compromise the church. They come in. They're like a plague. And they compromise the church. There'll be confusion. The church won't get along. And that's where Satan likes to do his best work. Okay, this is why we, I have no desire to have the fellowship that I have with my brothers and sister in Christ with unbelievers. I have no desire to do that. I want to break bread and have fellowship with the saints. I want to build the saints up. I want to eat together. I want to have communion together. I want to pray together. I want to do everything we can together. But as far as the unbeliever We just want to preach the word. We want to share the word with them. We want to, if they're willing to hear the words and keep hearing it, we pray for their soul. Then we allow God, as the wind blows, we allow God to do in their work. And if a person doesn't act like they're saved, there's church discipline, we put them out of the church. Now that's just how I feel. Because why? Because there's a value to that person. There's such a value for that person if they're a regenerated soul to do kingdom work, God's kingdom work, that we want them to repent of their sin, and then we want them back in the church doing kingdom work. But we can't have fellowship with them like we're going to be working together for a common cause. There is no common cause. We do not need the world or unsaved people to advance God's kingdom. God does not need that. God didn't need it when he told the Israelites that he would go before and take their enemies. And and they were going to go and uh, Saul, the, the king, before David was going to do the prayer. And they were going to go into battle. And they, they lost the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant went and they had captured it. And the people had broke out with plagues. And they were dying. And they had to get rid of this thing, the Palestinians. Uh, the We've got to get rid of this. It's What can we do? Well, you've got to make amends to their God. See, God didn't need them to go fight that. But God can fight his own battles. And what does God say in Revelations 2 about this Balaam and Balak? They compromise. So you also have some who in the same way hold the teachings of Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. But if not, I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. Wow! So who who is? I mean, that's that's that Old Testament stuff. Who 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 is it? Well, if you start reading up and getting in numbers between chapters twenty-two and twenty-five, you learn that Bomb was a he was a prophet. He was actually he was a prophet, but he was like a. A heretical prophet uh, that he listened to, to God and believed God, submitted to God, but he was a pagan prophet. And this guy, Balak, wanted, he, Balak knew, and from, he was the king of Moab, and he knew that he could not defeat the Israelites because they were so strong and they were God's chosen people, and there was no way that he was going to be able to defeat them. So he knew that he was going to get this bomb guy, this prophet, to go in and cast an evil curse on them to come into their to come into them and there's this big struggle and battle going back and forth well finally there's even a talking donkey in there and there's all kinds of stuff going on in there well anyhow the end result is Baal infiltrates the church and he begins to seduce the church through, through uh, eating the foods and then sexual acts, fornications. And it began to compromise the church. And guess what? It worked. He defeated the church. The plan is the same thing. Satan's plan is the same thing, to compromise the church, the body of believers, by coming in and convince you to compromise God's Word. We cannot cut. Com- there is no compromise on God's Word. We cannot compromise it. This is what God's word says. And I know it's fornication. It is people in my own family in the church that come to church. They're not married. They're fornicating. They are are not in the body of Christ. We, We are not doing kingdom work with them. We pray for them. And how much it pains me, but we pray for them. And it's a tough message, but that's the message that I have to preach because that's what God says. Why? Because the same thing happened then is happening today. It's bomb, infiltrates the church. We want to get the numbers. We start putting people in positions. They're running around. They're fornicating, and they're destroying your church. And unless someone, you have strong men and women that notice this in this church and stand up and say, no, that's not the way we're going to have it. Listen to me. When God gave all authority... To us, the believers, on heaven as on earth, he gave us all authority to advance the kingdom of God. We don't need Jesus here. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us his word. This is the written word of God. This is the church. If you want to be the church, be a part of the church, take heed to the writings. We go to Timothy. We go to Second Timothy. It begins to tell us, before I wrap up here, I know we're getting close on time. But what does it tell us to do? What does he tell Timothy to do for this? Because it's the first off, it's a saved church devoting themselves to the teaching of God's word. They're having meals, they're having communion together. In 2 Timothy 2 2, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We have to sit under men that are able to teach other men. They have to be able to duplicate the process. 2 Timothy 2.15 Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Uh, Not be ashamed. I, I I I prayed. I felt so ashamed when I read the a chapter last week. That was even not even in my message. I felt ashamed of that. I'm supposed to rightly handle God's word. I have to get it right. When they when they said that in chapter two, when we're going over it, When they were in fear, it says here that fear wasn't a fear in like we should be horrified. It is a fear of reverence and awe. Uh, we see that. Himself an apostles teaching to the fellowship of breaking of the bread in the prayer and verse 43. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Fear had come through them. Not the fear that I'm going to lose my salvation, just the reverence and the awe of such a sovereign God that when we handle His Word and we we represent Him, there's such an awe there. And it was such an awe moment for these apostles at that time, the first creating the church. The hair was probably all standing up on the back, the importance of it. Have you ever been in a stress situation, the importance of getting this right? we got to get this right. Why? Because we have, to, we have to evangelize. Now we evangelize. Now the church, we church has a right. Now we evangelize the world. Now we go around and we proclaim the gospel of the world. And the great commission that Jesus gave it all authority has been given to him on heaven and earth to go about the world baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And uh, we, we want to uh, regenerate souls. We want to want you to convert. We want to baptize you we want you to sit under good sound doctrine good sound teachers teaching then to replicate that and the words of a of a, a a great theologian pastor living to this day here's here's his what he has to say the church is not the church is not never was intended to be a spectator organization it never was intended to be an entertainment center it was intended to be our Reproductive cycle where faithful men are taught who in turn teach others. This is not a spectator sport. This is not for entertainment. The church is not to entertain you. We're not to try to get the world in here to entertain them and try to make them feel good about their sin. It's never been that. The church is about the edification of raising up men with sound doctrine to go and do the same thing and preach the gospel of Christ. I'm determined to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. That's it. That's our, that's, that's our plan. That's the church. Why do we have to try to figure out we gotta get the parking right? We gotta do this. We gotta listen, we gotta get the word right. We gotta get the word. We need to be in the word. A church, another good sign of the church, the men will gather together. And what will the men do? They'll be in God's word, they'll be studying God's word. That is a saved church. A church that wants to just get together and talk about the football game, that's not a saved church. I hunger and I thirst for God's word. And I hope all of you who are saved hunger and thirst for the word. That's how you know if you're saved. And when you run through troubles or tribulations or times, may it be the building of your faith knowing that we have a sovereign God who loves us. And let me just go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, just so full of grace and mercy, Father, we just thank you for this day. I thank you for all my brothers and sisters that sat here this evening. I pray for all my brothers and sisters online. And Father, I pray, I pray that you may, that you may just give somebody a heart to know. May the wind blow tonight and give someone a heart to know, eyes to see and ears to, and ears to hear, Father. And I, I know we would like to pray, most of us, for our family members that, that are in that dilemma. And we are, Father, we are praying for them. But we, we pray for all of you, Father, all of yours, that your word can go out, that it can be heard, that you give people a heart to know, ears to hear, and eyes to see. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.